Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Total Need Tips and Pearls podcast. So there's been a bit of a delay, um, so I'm getting back on target with uh, some more episodes coming your way. And to keep on with the series, uh, looking at classic articles, uh, today we're going to talk about the Dele and Charnley classification in the acetabulum. So this was first published in CORE in 1976, and it was titled Radiological Demarcation of Cemented Sockets in Total Hip Replacement by Jesse Dele and John Charnley. So this is a, a classic article that's described a lot, and although, you know, at least in the United States, it's very uncommon uh, for people to cement in a primary acetabulum for routine total hip replacement, uh, these classifications as far as the area that we're talking about around the acetabulum is still used. So, you know, in, in their discussion, they talked about, and again, this is back in 1976, um, that Salvati initially had described a thin radiolucent line between the cement and the bone that was, quote, sometimes seen on ordinary radiographs, end quote. So this was something that they did see, but no one had really discussed or looked into. And they also talked about um, another study by Bergstrom that showed a thin line or a thin zone that was less than a millimeter. And this appeared during the first six months after an operation and didn't increase. So they didn't consider it pathologic. So people were looking at it and thinking about it, but they didn't really look into it further than that. So the present study here by DeLee and Charnley, they were really looking at two things. They were looking at what was the frequency of x-ray changes, what they defined as demarcation, I think what we would now um, call a a lucent line, changes in the acetabulum at 10 years follow-up. And when they did see these abnormal changes on the x-ray, the second question they were asking was trying to determine whether or not it was progressive. So they looked at um, a lot of hips and excluded some. So the the cohort was 141 hips, and this was an average follow-up of 10 years. And these were patients that had hip replacements with acetabulums that were cemented, performed between 1962 and 1965. So they described three zones, and these are the zones that you should know, and these are the zones that are talked about. So if you determine the center of the femoral head, center of rotation, and you draw a horizontal line and a vertical line, so you have a right angle. And let's say we're looking at an x-ray on a right hip, so you have a vertical line and a horizontal line coming towards the midline. The most lateral superior aspect is considered zone 1 or type 1. The central area, that sort of right angle space inside that L, is zone 2, or what they initially described as type 2. And the most inferior portion of the acetabulum, sort of the medial end below the horizontal line, that was type 3, or what we now call zone 3. And they also looked at four kinds of demarcation or lucent lines. So they were looking at whether or not it was less than a half a millimeter, less than a millimeter, less than a millimeter and a half, and greater than a millimeter and a half. So they were really scrutinizing this. And the other thing that they were looking at was types of movement. So they were looking at whether or not there was true subsidence. So did this cup just subside in the line of sort of force at that 45-degree abduction angle, if you can kind of consider that straight up, um, or actual tilting? So what they found at the end of this study was that almost 70%, 69.5%, showed this demarcation or this lucent line. And of that group, 13% showed further migration. Now, again, I mean, this is 1976. So they found that they had more younger people that they described um, that showed these demarcation or lucent lines. 
but they describe their younger group of 70 versus 79. So these are still what we would consider older patients. And they also saw that this was more common in patients that had rheumatoid arthritis. Now, they, they made a couple um, interesting points at the end, which I thought were interesting. Um, they may not necessarily hold a lot of merit with how we perform a lot of surgeries today, since the majority of primaries in the United States are done with press-fit acetabulums. Um, but what they noticed trying to determine when they looked at the pathohistology um, was that the acetabular bone overall was smoother than the endosteal bone of the femur. And they thought that may have been one of the reasons why there wasn't as good cement interdigitation and they may have developed into these lucent lines. They also found that it was quite difficult to inject the cement into the acetabulum with the same amount of pressure that you can actually perform inside the femoral canal, just because it's a solid tubular structure that you can pressurize from the outside by clamping down that area. So they thought those were two reasons possibly why there may have been some issue that led to this lucent line. Now, the other interesting caveats um, that they found was that when the cement um, contacts sort of this load-bearing surface, they did define this fibrocartilage tissue. Uh, and, and we do see that in some of these aseptically loosening um, hips that you may see this fibrocartilage or this fibrous tissue, this fibrous ingrowth. So they sort of noticed it. And what was interesting or weird, you know, depending on how much you like, um, you know, histology was in the femur, they found that this tissue tended to be eosinophilic. Um, and they found that it was more closely related to chondrocytes when they looked at those cells, where in the acetabulum, these were more basophilic and it resembled more hyaline cartilage or articular cartilage. So, you know, again, I'm not sure that really helps you in treating your patients, but it was kind of interesting. But the technical points that they learned and that they describe in this paper um, was that when you put the acetabulum in, um, in these cemented acetabulums, that they felt that the socket holder, the holder that they utilized, um, should be released before the cement fully hardens because they thought it was impossible to hold it totally still and they thought some human error with either motion um, of the handle or motion of the patient or motion of the leg could have resulted in some of these development of these lucent lines. And if you need to pressurize, remove the holder and you can just put direct pressure once the cement is almost hard. The second thing that they noted, and, and I think this does hold true, especially if you're doing cemented femoral components, was the idea to obtain hemostasis. So that's an important thing, lots of different options, washing and drying, um, using hydrogen peroxide is what they had recommended. Sometimes people will use um, epinephrine to kind of constrict the blood vessels in the femoral side, but definitely obtain hemostasis when you're cementing. And then the other thing is trying to find, this is their third sort of item or technical pearl, was finding ways to enhance the pressure. So we do have ways of doing that on the femoral side. And when you are cementing, because it's not completely gone, um, but there are times where you may cement in, you know, there are techniques that you can use to afford. And as um, implants develop, some of them did develop different lips and changes in the morphology of the implant to allow some pressurization to occur. Um, but I think the important takeaway, you know, is the Delia and Charnley classification, the acetabular zones, what they initially called types, um, zone one, two, three. This was first described in core 1976. 
And again, three zones. So if you draw a vertical line through the center of the head, a horizontal line through the center of the head, the most superior lateral aspect zone is zone one. The central area is zone two. And the most inferior medial aspect of that acetabulum is zone three. So just important things to utilize when you're assessing areas of acetabular loosening. Um, And you can define the zone or zones in where you see these changes on the x-ray. So once again, thanks for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, Stay safe.